Welcome to the What I Meant to Say podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, founder of Be Better Media and a mom of four, passionate about human connection. Some of these stories contain sensitive content about real life events, and all of the information in this podcast and from anywhere on the Be Better Media website is for informational purposes only. If you find that you need help, which we all do from time to time, please reach out to a licensed professional for help. What an honor to sit down with this father-son team. Brian Bielman is a legendary surf photographer who has risked life and limb to capture the magic of some of the biggest waves and surf careers in the sport, from Kelly Slater to Kai Lenny. His son Jesse is a decorated combat controller, a division of special forces that most have never heard of, and whose military training is unparalleled even in the world of special forces. We dug into surf culture, patriotism, and whether they think there's a genetic component to the types of risks we take as humans. These two inspired me with their bond and commitment to make things better in the world. All right. Well, um, I am so excited because today I am joined by um, world-class surf photographer Brian Bielman and his son, um, Jesse Bielman, who is a combat controller, and I almost have to read this because I won't do it justice. Um, highly decorated combat controller and veteran from the United States Air Force. Um, at age 17, the youngest person to um, manage all of the physical and psychological tasks that are uh, required to become a combat controller and uh, wear the Red Beret, which I don't think a lot of Americans even know about. And until I met you, I didn't know about. And I have World War II pictures hanging in my dining room, and my I heard about military service my whole life and had never heard of a combat controller. So um, I'm really honored to have both of you here today. You're my first father-son interview. Yeah, I'm honored to be here. Thank so you. So thank Thanks you for being much. here. Yeah. Um, I, you have such diverse stories and, you know, yet your father and son, and I'm very curious just to begin with, like, how did you both end up in these really risk-taking career paths that you have chosen, and maybe Brian, we'll start with you. Um. Mine, it was it was pretty simple. I, I lived in Hawaii. I was a, a surfer, and at about 21, I, I realized like, what am I going to do for a living? Because all I was doing was anything that I could do, you know, temporarily, so I could keep surfing. So I decided I'd be a surf photographer. It just came to me one day. That's perfect. I get to keep surfing, you know. So I went out and bought all the stuff, but the problem was I couldn't quit surfing to actually become a photographer. And I'd go out in the water and I'd say, I'll be back in an hour and I'll start shooting and I never would. And then I had a really bad surf accident where I got sucked in, into a tube and thrown over with the lip of the wave and hit head first on the reef. And I came up with a big hole in my head. They stitched it up, but they didn't get the coral out. It got majorly infected and I literally almost died. It was, you know, they, they caught it just in time before it had actually gone into my brain. It was, it was a really big deal. And I was out of the water for a month, and that is when I finally said, all right, it, now's the time to grab the, the equipment. I got about a month I'm out of the water anyway, and start learning how to use it. Not the water stuff, but the land stuff. And that's kind of how it slowly started. It did, I, I wasn't able to just stop surfing all of a sudden just like that. It still took a while, but that was sort of the beginning of the whole thing for me. And I never thought of it as a risk-taking job. I just thought of it as a way to keep surfing. Yeah. Well, so. I, I've seen some of the footage. I watched White, White Rhino last night, and I've seen where you ended up. So maybe when you started, if you said you were, were you taking more pictures from the beach or 
Or did you get immediately into the water? Because I definitely think that's where the risk taking comes yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I kind of just, it was a, a big mixture of things. You know, a lot of photographers just liked shooting in the water. But I got bored. I, I would shoot from the beach, you get bored, go in the water, get bored, go back to the beach. So, I, you know, I kind of like just made my way around every facet of surf photography, portraiture, landscape, you know, land shots, water shots, jet skis, boats, swimming. You know what I mean? I just kind of like doing all of it. But the water is the real excitement. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, you're part of the whole thing when you're in the water. You're, you're not an observer. You're a participant. So yeah. that's what makes that part of it really cool. Yeah. And you sleep better at night after you've had all that exercise. Um, I can imagine. This is a physically demanding job um, that you're undertaking out there. And tell people, some of the people, uh, famous surfers that you... That you some of them? Yeah, just give me some names. Well, I, I worked really closely with Andy and Bruce Irons and Kelly Slater, of course. You know, I've been doing this for so many years, just as he has. So we've crossed paths and been on surf trips and everything else. Uh, John John Florence, Mick Fanning. I mean, you know, every, basically every top surfer in the world. Because working for magazines and all the companies and things like that, you know, that's the good part about it. You know, you're you're with the most talented people in the world. Like I've never thought of myself as talented. I'm just lucky enough to be around all this talent. You know, that's what's been so cool. Yeah, but surfing such a huge part of surfing is capturing. Like no one would know what these guys are doing without yeah. you. And when you see that footage, it's it's inspiring on such a deep um, on such a deep level to me because I I'm a water person, but I get out there and I'm like. I look at some of that footage. I'm like, I don't know how you. I mean, it's it's a. Sh there are accidents and there have been tragedies, but man, these guys pull off things that look completely yeah. impossible. I mean, I've seen things go really bad, and um, but it is amazing that people don't get in trouble more than they do, myself included. Yeah. You know. Well, we'll get to that. I'm sure you've got some uh, stories on that, but you know, I when I met the two of you, it really did occur to me that there is maybe a. A DNA component to how we yeah. seek out that you know I mean obviously where where you've been has been a completely different world but um, tell me a little bit about how you came to yeah, military so service and thank you by the way oh yeah That's absolutely uh, I guess the plead with uh, seed was planted when I was about 16 years old I had been hating school I didn't get my GD you know, from this program, and it was like a military sort of boot camp program where they put you through this, you know, six months of academics, and then you took your GED, and since it was like this weird little gray area, it equated to like a high school diploma. So I was 16 when I was technically out of high school, kind of on my own academically, and I just kind of fell in love with like the structure and the, you know, the physical aspect of what the military or at least that military program provided and it was kind of like an obvious um, you know next step for me is to is to actually like go into what that represented or what what the big scheme of what that really was and so you know it took me about a year until I was from 16 to 17 to, to physically be able to go in because at 17 you need parental consent of mother and father so I started going to all these different um, you know, recruiter's office, I went to, you know, uh, the, the Navy, and I was basically like, what is the most exciting, crazy job you can provide me? And of course, they, they told me about the SEAL program. And at first, I thought, you know, that that's pretty awesome. And then they said, well, you need to be 18. And I was just so ready to go at 17 that I was like, I, I can't wait this long. I was just so ready to take off at that point. And so 
you know, I went to the Coast Guard, kind of the same thing. I think they told me 18 to be a rescue diver. And then I heard about the job called Combat Control, which was a not well-known job at all, even now, um, you know, where it's a lot more surfaced as far as like the stories that are being told. They're making a movie about it. Yeah. Uh, there's more foundations, Combat Control Foundation, First Air Foundation, which I'm sure, you know, I'll, I'll tell about in, in the future, yeah. but, um, so, you know. yeah, so, so, you, how, so when you found combat control, was there not an age? No, uh, that was like a weird little loophole that you yeah. could be 17 and go through. I don't know Were why. Were they I was looking a, at you like, are you crazy? Oh, yeah, I was 140 <laughs> pounds. I was, I was super skinny. Like, I just started doing my first push-ups quite literally six months beforehand. Oh, so I was 120 pounds, then 140 pounds six months later. Went in pretty much right then and there and went through the pipeline of two years of trying to become a combat controller. And you mentioned previously, uh, at that time, I was the youngest uh, to get the break, which is 17, because it took me um, you know, that long to become a certified combat controller. Then it's further you know, a year of training to actually go to a unit. So technically, yeah, at the time, I had my beret when I was 17, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, or I, I just turned 18 when I, when I got my beret. So just to give people kind of a um, background, like if, if you had to compare like what a combat controller's training is like versus, you know, people have heard a little bit more about like what a Navy SEAL does, but mm -hmm. what's the relationship if they're both within the Navy, correct? Or are there no, combat so controllers in every branch of uh, the No, so a combat controller specified to the Air Force, whereas a SEAL is to the Navy. Navy. Okay. Um, what I can say about combat controllers versus SEAL is that combat controllers are, they kind of have a scope that's a little bit more round than a SEAL as far as we can deploy with a lot of different units. Like we deploy with the SEALs themselves, we deploy with Army uh, Special Forces, ODAs, uh, sometimes Marine recons. So we, we don't ever go as a group of combat controllers deployed specifically for like a Afghan mission to help in that capacity, it's usually attachment. So we attach to a special force team, like I said. So that's kind of the main difference as far as what it looks like downrange. As far as the training itself, all special operations jobs are pretty similar. We all go through, for the most part, we all go through, you know, a pipeline of about two years or so, some more, some less. Uh, we all go through, for the most part, combat dive, uh, halo jump, airborne, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape courses, uh, a lot of shooting courses, um, you know, a lot of long range, uh, short range shooting courses. And then when we get on team, we all kind of train similarly to whatever the deployment is going to be in the future that we kind of plan ahead as far as like where we're deploying to, okay. kind of what those responsibilities are gonna be in the future. Yeah, and then you served in Afghanistan and Africa. Yes, yeah, I went to Africa, and then I think about a year later, Afghanistan. And as the parent, I mean, what's that like when your kid comes home and it's like, oh, I'm going to... Well, first off, it. when he first told me what he wanted to be, I didn't even know what it was. And then when yeah. I found out what it was, I was like, why? Like, you know, I, I left to go to Hawaii for no structure. He left Hawaii to go somewhere with structure. So I looked at it like, what happened to us? How do we get so different? When in reality, it turns out that it wasn't so different just because of the kind of lifestyle. But... See, we don't know when he was doing all this stuff. He'd be, he'd do it, and we'd find out later. Well, and I had to get that parental signature somehow. <laughs> I want to be completely <laughs> You're truthful. You're like, if I was going to tell you all this, you yeah. wouldn't sign the papers. Yeah. Which, you know. yeah. 
that's but just... but when he'd be in Afghanistan, we'd know he was in Afghanistan, but we wouldn't have any idea what he was doing and when he was doing it and all that kind of stuff. Thankfully, because that'd be too hard to take. Yeah, for sure. Was there any communication like? I think at one point he said, "Hey, Dad, watch the news tonight." And I turned on the news, and there was all this crazy stuff going on in Afghanistan, and that was what where he was and what he was doing. So you know, I just watched it, and uh, I mean, the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm just hoping my son comes home in one piece. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's hoping he comes home. And also, please bring him, like I said, in one piece. It's a scary thing as a parent, man. I, I don't, it's not fun, I'll tell you that. Yeah. In fact, I was, I was thinking about it this morning about talking to you guys and wondering, um, you know, in that job, like, is it somewhere that you learn to just be present, like incredibly present with what's going on around you? Or is it something that you actually just have to, you have to shut things down because it's got to be so intense, the human experience that you've been through? Like... Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, that's why the training for a lot of these special operations jobs are so much longer than most of the jobs in the military, being as it is like two, two years of training to, to actually be technically operational to even go do the job itself. Um, because it does require a lot of mental fortitude, a lot of ability to, you know, disregard the fact that you're in some hairy situations sometimes and you have a lot on, on stake that you're responsible for being a combat controller you know, which is if you're downrange with a special forces team, generally you have a, all these aircraft overhead you're controlling, you're getting shot at sometimes if you're in engagements and you're having to do your job, which is very technical while this is all going on. But that's why they put you through all this training, you know, um, you know, you're going to dive school, learning how to, how to focus your mind and disregard the fact that your body thinks it's drowning and be able to go do the task of staying underwater and forcing yourself to kind of disregard that, that discomfort. Mm -hmm. So I think that is really important, um, even if we're not, not gonna go do a dive operation, just being able to put your body, which your mind follows into those situations and kind of learn how to you know, ease into that. Yeah, I mean, that is, that, that, that is the highest range of, of training, because obviously athletes you know, put themselves through and those types of situations where we're disconnecting body and mind or trying to connect and do something that's, you know, not superhuman, but, you know, way above the average capacity. But that is, I mean, then your life is literally on the line and you're carrying, it's just the weight of it is, it's immense. I can feel it. But did, um, what is the camaraderie like with, when you're when you're deployed and you're with you know embedded in a unit or what's that that sense of, of team and community that you um, feel? Well, you've probably heard like the term brotherhood a lot, and yeah. it's quite literally like you feel like these guys are brothers because you go through so much together. You know, in training and then you know deploying downrange, and you know you guys all have these similar experiences and and attitude towards life itself. You've all sometimes had friends who've maybe died and, and all these positive and, and negative, you know, emotions and memories kind of sync you together. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, things that you're going to remember and, and you're going to be that way kind of for the rest of your life. And so it's, it's difficult to not stay in that community and, and want to hold on to those relationships. Yeah. Yeah, and are you coming from all different backgrounds? I mean, you meet people from, or is there like a similarity? Yeah, that you um, yeah. I mean, I was, I'm closest to my combat control 
you know, fellow mm -hmm. operators, just because we have the most similarities and they're my buddies, like we've known each other years, we've gone through so much together. I love them. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of other people in the military in general that, that we have that brotherhood. But being a controller is, is very much um, that brotherhood that I speak of. You know, yeah. you just go through so much stuff together. Is that a little bit, do you think, and I, I, the movie's not done yet, I don't believe, but do you think that's going to come through in the movie that they're, they're putting out? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I think it will. Because there have been a lot of military movies, but never anything about combat control. And yeah, not directly. Yeah. Yeah, and with John Chapman, it's such an amazing story. Uh, so I, I, I hope they do justice. Yeah. Because he deserves it. His family deserves it. Yeah, that's, that's really, really amazing. Um, so you were deployed soon after you, you, you joined. So mm -hmm. you're, you go through training, and then you're deployed. And how long did you serve as a combat controller? Um, well, I was in the military for six years. Uh, I went to Africa for six months, and Afghanistan for four months. And then I got back from Afghanistan. It was, I think, five months after that that I got out of the military and moved to California. Okay, and then that has got to be just a world-changing yeah. to go from the military combat control world into civilian life. Yeah, it's a big, big difference of lifestyle, big change for sure, and they kind of prep you for that a little bit, but not to the extent of what I think you're kind of expected, yeah. you know, to, to experience. Process. Yeah, to process. Yeah, so what are some of the things that... Um, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, that have been um, part of that challenge? I would say, especially initially, uh, one of the big differences is you kind of have to relax a little bit. And, you know, being in that lifestyle, in that community, in that environment, not in a negative way, but you're kind of on edge all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then getting out of that and transitioning into civilian life and going about just hopping back into that lifestyle and that mindset is is something that's really hard to do that I can't speak for you know everyone but for myself and some of the people that I talk to my buddies uh, it's it's a bit of a change and it's a it's a hard thing to do sometimes when you're not expecting it as you know big of a challenge as it actually is yeah no, for sure now um, as has, when okay, when you came out of the military, what, what kind of job were you doing? Um, I actually traveled for about six months and okay. <laughs> basically okay. blew all my savings. Yeah, yeah. I went to <laughs> went back to Hawaii for a bit. Um, I went to went to Mexico, went to Bali for quite a bit. Sweet. Yeah, and then do you, do you surf? No, I no? oddly enough, I I'm not really surf. I grew up skateboarding, but okay. I, I yeah, guess yeah. I just never you know started surfing for whatever yeah, reason. Well, I don't, Hawaii and Bali, so I yeah, imagine. yeah, you'd think, but um, no. So I uh, I started uh, start personal training and going that route, and I did that for about a year and a half, and kind of tried to like alleviate some of the stress that I started to experience, and and just push that away. And you know, I'm not, I seem to be not really that person that speaks up or tries to get help, which I see now that is is kind of a problem. Sometimes you need to. Just let go of that, that ego maybe lesson. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So I was dealing with that, especially in the, you know, initial phase of getting out. 
Um, and so I tried to just kind of push that away and live a normal, normal lifestyle. And, you know, it kind of just caught up to me like it does to a lot of the guys that, you know, go through those same experiences. Yeah. And what are some of the ways, um, I know both you mentioned the combat control f uh, foundation and, um, I know the surf community has been part of, of your, you know, coming back into civilian life. And I think a sense of community is so important. And obviously you talked about it in the military experience, but just the ways that communities come together to support and asking for that help. What are some of the ways that um, those two communities have, have been part of your journey as a civilian? Um, well, I'm, I get to reap the benefits as far as Combat control, like I said, is such a small community relative to all these other special operations communities. And so we all kind of know the same people. And so we seem to be a little bit more tight knit comparably. And so that's something that good for me because I have friends that I'll always know that we all kind of have in common. And so, you know, I can reach out to one guy and most likely we're all gonna kind of be able to support each other in that capacity. Yeah. Um, and Do same thing with the surf community, I'm sure. They're going through a lot of the same lot, things. Yeah, when you, a lot when of you did ask for help, was there more like a, oh yeah, man, I know, me too? Seemingly, or, yeah, yeah. Were they able to, you were able to connect on those things that you yeah. were dealing with? Yeah, I'd yeah. say so. So um, I know that when you came back, you've been through some really big physical um, challenges. And I don't know, I would love to you know get into... You know, there's so much these days that people can do to help themselves, but asking for help and then also getting to a point where sometimes when we don't um, or we find ourselves in a situation where we can't ask for help, people come along and, and help us. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, part of your story I know is related to a real physical healing. And I, you know, I'd love to hear some of that story and how you were connected, how we met, you know, yeah. connected to... Um, you know, just better medicine and better ways to take care of yourself um, when things get really, really tough. Mm -hmm. If you're able to share some yeah, of that Yeah, story. absolutely. So, um, well, I kind of, it kind of started off, I don't know, year maybe 2015. I got into a accident while training, uh, an ATV accident where I, I flipped the ATV and essentially broke my leg pretty badly, compound fracture. So I had to get a bar going from my knee to my ankle. Um, and I dealt with that for just years, constant pain, chronic pain, um, some days more, some days less. But, you know, and they prescribed me sort of sorts of medicine to help me with the pain. And then getting out of the military again, they just kind of, you know, essentially give you medicines and maybe don't specify for the individual as much as, you know, they could. Okay. Um, and so I was on a lot of different medications and then uh, early this year, 2022, um, basically what happened was somehow I just experienced, uh, you know, organ failure, heart failure, and was found unconscious um, and rushed to the ER. Um, I had only 30% heart function, maybe even less at the time, so I was pretty close to death if my roommate hadn't found me. So they put me under uh, monitor seizure, and then I think they woke me up about three days later if you remember right yeah three days later about that <clears throat> um were, were you in hawaii yeah. 
Yeah, office. I was in Hawaii when I got the call, and it was terrifying. And within three hours, I was in an airplane flight and showed up at the air, uh, hospital just to see him laying there with every single, every organ in his body was being kept a lot, you know, going with a machine. And they had that taped over your eyes. It was just like horrible, you know, and I'm such a crybaby, too much estrogen dad these days. Like I just walked in the room and talked to him for a second and went out of the room and just lost it. I mean, it was, it was, you're in yeah, shock the whole time. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not, you're just handling it because your body is doing what it needs to do to keep you from really, re you know, no, you know, yeah, yeah. It's an out of body experience. Yeah. It was, it was for sure the heaviest thing I've ever experienced. So do you remember when they woke him up? Yeah, I was actually uh, at my house and they called me up and they said, uh, they're going to, uh, well, no, I guess you were already starting to wake up. I jumped in the car, started driving. Somebody gave me directions. I ended up right up at the bottom of a gigantic hill and lost. And they're on the phone going, he's waking up right now. His eyes are opening right now. And at one point, a little bit of me was like, damn it, why am I not there? But I, I didn't. At the, I was just so happy to be hearing this. Yeah. But yeah, I was looking at the side of a cliff lost, and they're on the phone going, <laughs> he's opening his eyes right now. And it was, I can't even tell you. And then when I showed up at the hospital, and there he was looking at me, you know. But he was still like, hey, Dad, how you doing? And 15 minutes later, hey, Dad, how you doing? And 15 minutes later, hey, Dad, how you doing? Like, he kept asking the same questions over uh -huh. and over. It's, you know, he was there, but he wasn't all there, but... Yeah. How much of it do you remember, Jesse? Uh, not a lot. No? No, not a lot. And, I mean, even on the day that, when you say your roommate found you, I mean... I, I don't really remember, basically, that whole week. I mean, I, I know what I was doing, you know, but uh, I don't remember any details, uh, especially, like, two, three days before that actually happened. And I don't even really remember being in the hospital initially uh, when I woke up that first time. And then how long were you in the hospital after that? Um, well, so what had happened was I, I went home. Uh, you know, these guys showed up. Uh, the whole community jumped to help me out. I had friends fly, uh, family come over. And I think it was about a week later that uh, he was in my room sleeping with me. And he said I just stood up in the middle of the night and then fell back down, started having a seizure for the second time which makes them assume that the first time was a seizure because they okay. were kind of unsure at the time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it was like a neurology sort of problem, that like issue I was having. Okay. And so this, that was the second time I, I went to the ER um, and then that kind of, you know, fit the puzzle piece as far as what kind of happened the first time. Okay, okay. And then um, from there, I mean, did you spend more time in the hospital, or how did you how how did you end up um, making contact? Oh well, first you there was a GoFundMe. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And you did you start the GoFundMe, or how did that happen? Yeah, I think just to backtrack for a second, yeah. he he was in the hospital, and we went through the first few days, mm -hmm. and he got out and came home, and we were like, okay, this everything's going in the right direction. This is fantastic. And then all of a sudden, another seizure out of the blue, which terrified us because then it was like, how is this going to keep happening? I mean, right. we didn't know. Then they sort of started to realize that it wasn't only a heart issue, it was a neurological issue. So mm -hmm. they started looking into all that stuff. Okay. And so after that he came home and then we had more things to deal with and pay attention to and everything else. And we started looking into how much all this was gonna cost. And even though he has insurance with the, the vets, it's right. like, oh, that's, you know, it just wasn't gonna cover so that much. Plus it was so, 
what he was going through was so much deeper than just normal care that they can give. And, you know, it's funny, I'd, I'd had friends do GoFundMes for all different things. And I just started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I never have done anything like this. Mm -hmm. But when I'm looking at the kind of bills we're talking about and everything else, even with the help of the VA hospital and all that, I was like, I think this is the time to try. Mm -hmm. And I just put a thing up and explained to everybody, you know, and just said it's tough times out there. But, you know, if anybody can help Jesse with any of this at all, just for the doctors and things like that, you know, just any kind of financial help would be really welcomed. And I mean, I had people from around the world giving money and it, the cool thing is, is obviously they would do it just because of who Jesse is, what he's done for his country. But also, I've bragged about Jesse all over my Instagram. Mm -hmm. I have a pretty big following on my Instagram, yeah. and a lot of them have grown up with Jesse, all the surfers yeah. and everything else. But I always run pictures of Jesse. You know, I'm so proud of him. I'm running funny pictures of me and him, or pictures of him when he was in Afghanistan, yeah. and things like that. So they already kind of knew Jesse. They were attached. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it was amazing the help we got. And if we hadn't got that help, I don't know what we would have done. And, and I was so happy about that. But at the same time, it made me feel so sad for all the other vets who don't have some sort of way to reach out to people and get help like this. The part of me as an American that realizes that the health care of someone who has served our country the way that you have can come down to a GoFundMe is literally, I can't yeah. even... It's 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 mind-boggling to me, and I don't in in my world. And if, if I was in charge, that is yeah. not how this would be going. I on. completely agree. I just can't wrap my head around that. That's the best we can do. There, but as usual, and when you put resourceful people together who don't take no for an answer, things keep moving forward. And then, so from that GoFundMe, how did you guys? What was the next step towards health? Well, we had the GoFundMe, the combat controllers. You had two different combat controllers units come forward and help uh, with with the GoFundMe, which was awesome. And he didn't even know there was, I don't think you knew that there was even these foundations and things like that even out there. Yeah. So that was really cool to find that. And then I think from that point on, we had a friend contact the Holtdorf uh, medical people and they said, we have someone that we think you'd be interested in, in talking with and, and all that. And they got a hold of us. And we, we took Jesse down there and met with all the people. And uh, I, I mean, I, you can take it from there. But, you know, it was, that was the help that we really needed. That was the thing that really pushed everything in the right direction. You know, the other stuff was great. We needed that help for the medical that we were doing at the time. But without... Holtorf, we would have been a whole different type of medicine, and that money would have run out very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, better medicine, I believe is what they yeah. refer to it as, mm -hmm. is incredible. I've, the results we've seen from it, fantastic. Yeah, so Jesse, what's that process been like as far as what you have, the treatments that you've received? Um, uh, it's been incredible. I didn't really know a lot about peptides, but that's what I've been on for the past six months since kind of the accident happened and and what are some of the what are some of the results you've seen from, uh, from taking well right off the bat I was dealing with uh, numbness when I first got home and then when the numbness went away I had this excruciating nerve damage um, in, in my lower extremities and my legs and I couldn't sleep I couldn't eat it was it was absolutely like agonizing it was terrible and um, I went to the whole Torf's uh, medical group and 
I got a series of different peptides, stem cells, uh, weekly IVs, bi-weekly IVs sometimes, and everything in conglomeration with each other was really the thing that kind of kick-started the healing process with me. And it's, it's a definitive beginning of, of that point moving forward that I noticed a significant increase of uh, you know healing for myself and just feeling better physically, emotionally, cognitively, because going in there, I was pretty much in a fog uh, you know, cause my brain was, you know, I had a, like a, a laceration, not a laceration, but, a uh, like a spot on my, uh, MRI that they had seen, my CAT scan that they okay. had seen. Is that so, like considered a traumatic brain injury or? Um, it, I don't know if it's technically yeah. a traumatic brain injury, but it was, uh, it was, Has uh, that... hippocampus sclerosis is what oh. it turned out to be. Okay. And so that could be um, and that can the cause of like memory damage that okay. I was kind of experiencing right off the bat. Yeah. So that okay. was the biggest thing I saw right off the bat is an improvement cognitively for that problem that I was dealing with. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this chat as much as I am. For more great content, courses, and lifestyle, go to BeBetterMedia.tv. So from the time in March, I mean, when your roommate found you, and we're sitting here, and it's um, what September twelfth. I mean, that's six months time, and you're sitting here, you know, pretty much living living your life and feeling yeah. like how do how have they have they explained to you like how this how this you know what's the transformation or is it just something you've lived and been like well it, it worked for me like it's have you tried to dig in and kind of understand what's going on or do you just take the yeah I, day so, by day? so <laughs> I didn't really know what peptides were beforehand yeah um, and it's taken me a while to even figure out exactly what peptides yeah. are to be honest there's so many different uh, explanations to it but yeah I mean what peptides are that I've kind of gathered are a series of amino acids that they form to put together and it specifically targets different things in the body that help with different issues and ailments. Uh, it can be, you know, mentally, physically. Um, so there's so many different things that it can, that they can Right. Well, the gut, brain, the gut brain connection now that we know is so huge that, you know, to me when I, and I've, I've taken some too now and it makes sense to me because for me, I, I started feeling that mental clarity as well. And I was like, oh, well, that's that enteric nervous system. That's that gut brain connection that's helping, you know, my gut. When they mm -hmm. say trust your gut, it actually really means something. You know, it used to be just a, 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 a saying. And now I'm like, oh, no, that, that is a real thing. So when we heal our gut, we can also heal our brain. And that's what I've experienced with some of the, the you know, the peptides. Yeah. That, and I'm... And it hasn't been very long, so no, it's been a relatively short people time. People don't know about this stuff, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but I know that um, if something, if there are these stories that are out here, and pe people need to know that there are healing, there are ways to heal that aren't, you know, maybe we're not there. We need more doctors to know about them. And ask the questions, you know, come in and ask the questions, but I think there's a, a huge network out there of, of doctors that might be able to train this stuff, and what all I want to do is bring, is shine a light on if there is something that is better, because we're dealing with such a huge opioid epidemic out there, and the side effects on a lot of these drugs 
I mean, they're they're for real. That's terrible. It's really scary, and it's like everywhere from the veteran population to first responders to athletes to you know families that have these you know cycles of addiction in their families. It's like it's really really detrimental to the way that we're operating as Americans, and it's I mean the the statistics are they're just. The biggest problem is that we're up against the pharmaceutical industry, and and that's going to be the hard part. Yeah. Um, and don't need to go into a whole lot of detail with that, but it's it's yeah, it's a political situation, and you know. I, this is where my drive for conscious capitalism comes from, is you know I don't think anybody, and I I just hate to think that anyone gets into business to create harm. Right, I, I don't think maybe the original intent is ever to create right. harm, but when we start dealing with purely profitable mm -hmm. situations rather than going why, what's the why behind why I'm making money, right? And if there's a better way, because in the end, the person has to be more important than the profit. Yeah, you know, and that's what I just can't because everybody can change. Like if we, you know, I look at it and go, wow, they have, you know, if you're making money, then you can also develop new things that maybe don't have or, or get into new areas because people are doing a whole lot more with a lot less than some of the money that we're talking about mm -hmm. in the pharmaceutical industry, right? Um, so I hear you on that. And I do think, I know it's a sensitive topic, but it is worth yeah. Exploring and, and sure. I think the people at Holtorf, I think they're basically the pioneers. They're the mm -hmm. they're the ones that are towing the hard line right now, and they're trying to push through, break through. Yeah. So you know, I, I after all the help that we've gotten and seen ourselves, and uh -huh. I, like Jesse said, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. Right. And um, I, you know, I I'm going to do everything I can to help kind of put the word out there. Mm -hmm. You know. So. And that's the hard thing. I mean, being a, a on the cutting edge of something does require again it, it's another risk-taking place yeah. to be and but there's a lot of good that can come from this because if you can be going in six months I mean you're sitting here having this conversation where you were you thought you were, were gonna lose your son six yeah. months ago that's needs to be investigated mm -hmm. <laughs> that needs to be put out there and tested more because there this should be available to especially to, to veterans and people that have served our country and then how do we figure out how to make that part of a comprehensive program where veterans are, are served? I mean, I, you guys shouldn't be paying for anything. It, I, it's the I, craziest thing. I, don't I just understand. don't understand. It doesn't make any sense why it's like that. Yeah. But I guess we need 88,000 IRS people yeah, I'm not, more, I'm, than, here's the more than helping our veterans. I am not okay with veterans' health care not being as good as a congressperson's health care. Yeah. It's not right. Yeah. Like, it just shouldn't be that way. I saw John Stewart on TV once, I think it was Veterans Day, and he said, if we can't figure out a way to take care of our veterans, we better quit having wars. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's, that's And I thought that pretty much summed it up right there. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell me some of the ways, because I know um, the surf community came in really big for Jesse, too, and I know you were saying that they've watched him on you know, Instagram and whatever, but what did that feel like for you as, as being having spent so much time in that community and knowing that they were they well were I mean the obvious reaction was complete disbelief you know when I saw them come the way they did to support us with such words of uh, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? I'm getting all choked up just talking about it. Yeah. Well, just sympathy and empathy and everything else that came along with it. I mean, it was just, it was wonderful to know that that Jesse mattered that much to all these people. You know, yeah. that, that what he had, like when he, this whole thing first happened, one of the things he said to me is, you know, Dad, I just feel embarrassed that this whole thing happened and all these people are coming to help me. And it's like, and I said, dude, don't feel embarrassed about anything. They, nobody even cares why or how or what happened. It was, it's all about what you've done for everyone in the military. And you know what I mean? With yeah. all the military, that's crazy. And they just want to come forward and now show you how much they appreciate it. You know, yeah. so it, it was unbelievable. I mean, again, I'm a dad that cries at the drop of a hat. So you can imagine when I started seeing all the, the help come in, financial and prayers and everything else. Yeah. It was it was pretty incredible. Yeah. I was in Hawaii at the time and Jesse was in California. We were on the phone calling each other. Have you seen, like in the last hour, how many people have donated money? Like it just was crazy, you know? And that's the thing, that is the power of humanity that's out there that I swear part of the reason I, you know, I'm starting Be Better Media is like those stories of like the power of humanity is, is, is it's incredible yeah. and people really do care. And so often that's just not what we're hearing about. But when yeah. you get stories like this and you are actually the beneficiary of feeling what humans are capable of providing yeah. in the Good. I mean, I just put yeah. a thing on my Instagram because it had been six months. I just dropped off social media. I stopped taking pictures. Yeah, I just yeah. didn't do anything. I just yeah. wanted to hang out with Jesse and be here and help him. And and when else was I going to get to hang out with my kid for this long, you know? But I just wrote something on my Instagram just recently, and I just basically said... Um, on your Instagram I just post? basically said to him, I said, we can never, ever thank you enough, or you'll never know how much we appreciate it. All we can do is pass it forward. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. only way. Absolutely. And, and that really is what it's all about. And that's really what everybody wants. Yeah. They, they just want to start this chain reaction of people doing good for other people and just showing the best we can be as, as a human being, you know. Yeah. I, that, that came through for me so strong yesterday. I woke up really early and, you know, September 11th always puts uh. all of us in a certain place where you just remember where you were. And as an American and a patriot, it just, I feel like I always wake up super early and just, you know, you just get really, really grateful for the fact that we're here and we are capable of what we're capable of. And when I meet people like you and that are, Washington doesn't inspire me, but meeting people like you does. Yeah. And knowing that you've been in these situations to protect the way that we live, the only thing you can do is think, okay, well, how can I be better and do a little bit better every day so that this country can heal and keep getting better because you know there are forces out there that want to take us down and you know a lot of the things we hear these days are all the all the terrible you know terrible things about America or how they want to divide us and put everybody in a certain group we're the only country that it ever came together that was so diverse from the very beginning and yes we have stories and yes we have things that are real but we have so much good and so when I see people that really believe in the American way and stand up for it in a way that risks their own lives, not wears a suit and sits in a position of power that, you know, there's so much that just disappoints me in Washington these days, but coming off of September 11th and knowing we were going to do this interview, I just, I'm really inspired by 
what it takes to do what you've done. Well, they so. they truly are the real heroes. Yeah. There's real heroes out there, and we just have to really pay attention to who they are. And yeah. Quit creating entertainers and sports figures and making them heroes because they're pretty much a lot of them are just spoiled rotten kids <laughs> yeah well and uh, you know who are I, talented in what they do yeah and and I do think it's important to sink into you know what is what is the point of being better if you're not gonna help somebody else yeah right I mean mm -hmm. even if you're a world-class surfer the world-class surfer stepped up to you have to have that next connection of like if I, I can work to be the best person I can be every day but if I'm the only end in that what's the point yeah you know so um, I'm sitting here, I'm seeing your mall of beads and some of your tattoos, and is there any story behind that, or is there a... Uh, well, tattoos are pretty prevalent in the community, so, you know, we all kind of are like-minded, and we eventually start to, you know, have that herd mentality, so I think that... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm representative of, awesome. of that, yeah. yeah oh, thank really you. Cool. You ever woke up in the morning with one, you don't know what it meant or where it came from? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not yet, no. <laughs> It's way more intentional than that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, I, okay, I know where I wanted to take this. You've been doing the surf photography thing for a really long time, 40 yeah, years. Four, actually, 43 years. I was thinking about it the other day. And um, when was the last time you were out in the water? Since, well. Because you've obviously been taking care of. Yeah. Body. You know what? I haven't been in the water uh, at well, I've been in the water shooting over the last couple of years, mm -hmm. but I haven't been at pipeline shooting in the last couple of years. And that's what I really gauge being out in the water because that's okay. the real test. Yeah. But I got COVID really early on uh, when it first hit and okay. it knocked me out. And I had that, what was the, uh, what did they call it? The long COVID? Yeah, I had the long COVID. I had no energy, fatigue, oh. couldn't get myself to go back out there. And I remember going, I've been out in the water for 42 years in a row out of pipe. I don't want to go in the water right now. I just want to shoot it from the beach. Mm -hmm. And then the next year came along and I said, okay, I got to get myself back out there. And I don't know. I just kept putting it off and coming up with reasons. It's not as good today. And next I knew two years went by and I just thought, wait a minute, that can't be the end of it for me. You know what I mean? So this year was all about traveling to Indonesia and doing all this stuff and just slowly get myself back in shape. And then all this happened with Jesse. So I ended up spending a lot more time on the couch watching Netflix than I wanted to. So my big thing now is to finally get back now that he seems to be doing a lot better. And, you know, I feel like my time is done now. It's time to get back and lose some weight and get back in the water and start shooting again. Yeah. Do you think that you'll, any of these peptides might be? Well, that's favorite? funny you ask that because, um, you know, my whole thing was to really try to kind of almost document myself getting back in shape because I'm about 64. I'm going to be 65 soon. And that's I mean, it's kind of old to be doing what I do. So I thought it was kind of an interesting thing to show, hey, you know, the fat guy watching too much Netflix over the COVID period and dealing with all the stuff he's Taking dealt care with of his son. can actually get himself back in shape. And when I saw what they were doing for him, you know, I started to talk to them a little bit about it and tell them where I was at. And, and so I'm basically, as a matter of fact, I just came from the, the doctor where they've taken half of my blood out of my body today okay. um, to do a lot of blood tests and find out the type of things that I'm lacking and things and ways that I could be helped with peptides and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So I'm gonna incorporate all of that into this short little video that starts out with COVID and Jesse and then me and then how it's all ended up and, and the good that has come from all this stuff to try to make some more people aware of it because yeah. again, pass it on. You know, that's the best way I can think of to do it. 
and, and send a message and a story about how this all happened and all the good that's come out of it, you know? And that's, I mean, those are the stories that I just, I know that the hardest things that we go through in our lives are the times that we grow the most. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so hard as a parent to watch your child go through it. It's so hard to be the person that's going through it. But there's nobody out there that's not being affected by aging in their family or stress or, you know, health, health challenges. And if we can push this story out there, mm-hmm. that there is better medicine, and yeah. and that it's, you know, you, you are having a blood test. It's not it's not a one size fits all. It's a, but just having the inquiry and just being able to know where to go, yeah. and Holtorf is in um, El Segundo, so close to us and where we're filming this. But um, you know, I know they have a network of doctors across the country, and functional medicine is it, it has been instrumental for me for my youngest um, is on the autism spectrum and I started just doing research when he was really young because you always want to know if there's something that can help my child you know parents do it and I I learned a lot about nutrition and um, inflammation in the system and the gut-brain connection and all of these things and the more I learn the more it all connects and these building blocks of protein these peptides and the stem cells and the things that are out there. I mean, we are, we're always evolving as yeah. a society and there shouldn't be roadblocks. Yeah. Especially if they're just, you know, if they're profit driven roadblocks. Like that is not, that is the downfall of America because we are a creative culture that can create amazing things, but it cannot just be for profit. Mm-hmm. Right? I you mean, know, it sounds funny, but it's like I've always considered America the greatest country in the world and I'm not anti-American by any means. I just see yeah. where we're going and I'm not happy and I know we can do better. But it's starting to look to me like, you know, America's not the greatest country in the world anymore to be in. And so I think it's time to change that. And I, I just... Yeah, and it's going to take people like us to do it. Yeah. That's the thing. And modern medicine, or, yeah. or I'm sorry, modern medicine or whatever you want to call our normal medicine... Hey, if you're, you know, just about to die or you need surgery, I mean, believe me, that's that's yeah. where it all is. That's where you go. That's how you do it and save your life. But when it comes to all these other things, the pharmaceuticals and everything else that they're using yeah. now, it's like there there are better ways as we're finding out now, and that's that that's well, the way to go. It's that well care model. Like, what do we do? It, you know, when we get into a difficult situation, yes, we have some answers there. But, like, well, how, what do we do to stay well? And a lot of it comes from, yes, peptides and stem cells and these things, but breath work and energy work. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just came from my chiropractor and just things that help your nervous system regulate in this crazy world we're living in. And uh, and you've been in the, you know, the, the top of the top most stressful environments and bringing that regu- nervous system back down to be able to function, you know, and connect as a human in regular society, that's not a, that's a tall order, you know? Yeah, it's constant upkeep, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Are there any, like, other holistic practices that you participate in just to kind Um, of... Well, I'd say whether it's holistic practice or not, I mean, I'm all about taking a step back from your day and being alone or with your significant other and just kind of decompressing that way and just trying to meditate or read and get everything out of your head and practice what it feels like to, you know, get that out of your head and and not always actively think about the negatives, which, you know, for me personally is is really hard, you know, um, whether it's just me 
or or my experiences it's it's like my mind's always running so to be able to try to learn how to calm myself down and think positive thoughts and, and push away those negative thoughts and those what ifs and hypotheticals that most likely won't ever happen is is huge for me and it's it's been really the determining factor as far as me coming back and and snapping back into my old self yeah that's got to feel amazing but you've clearly had to do a lot of work to to get there because you were trained to protect and look for or or, or be ahead of where everyone else was is yeah that right or yeah just to like I, yeah be I mean, looking for, sure. for the thing that was going to happen be alert. That, yeah yeah and that isn't that i mean that's it's pretty much the opposite of being present Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. and you have to, you have to kind of be in a certain mindset, and if you're in that mindset for, you know, a long period of time, elongated period of time. It's, it's difficult to get out of it, and so kind of learning how to become a different person in the sense of you're not that person anymore. You, you don't have those responsibilities. You don't really have that danger. Um, it's, it's always good to know, you know, how to obviously defend yourself, and I believe in that and keeping up on certain skills. But, you know, you're not in that environment anymore. You're in this environment. So now you kind of have to adapt and relearn new habits and unlearn old habits, you know, from what you see is appropriate. Yeah. Wow, you're really wise for, what are you, 29? 29. Yeah, yeah you're very wise. He's much more articulate, <laughs> yes. than, articulate than his father. Um, I wanted to say something that um, I was talking to Jesse one time, and, um, and, and this was one of the ways I realized that we were similar is uh, he was telling me, because he doesn't talk about it very much. None of those guys seem to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I remember him telling me before when I was complaining or something, he's like, Dad, suffer in silence. Suffer in silence. And that's kind of their motto, for better or worse, you know. Right. But I remember asking him a little bit about, like, well, what happened, you know, at this particular mission you're on, and he started telling me stories, you know, about running down the streets and bullets flying and hearing them whizzing past his head and all this, you know, bombs landing in the 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 room above him and almost coming through and blowing them all up, you know, and I'm sitting there going, like, what's going through your head when this happens? And he said, you know, Dad, it's it's almost like it's so surreal that you're actually almost like laughing. And I was like, I thought about it for a minute. And, and in my own small way, I started to think about when I was out you know, in giant waves and we're in boats shooting these gigantic waves and then you have to get through the waves and make it to safety and all these things are happening and within like the first 10 minutes you're terrified and then after that you're just like, as it's happening, it's the same thing. It's like so surreal that you're laughing and you're just accepting that you're in this place, you know, that where anything could happen, anything could go wrong, but you somehow you just accept it. And all I kept thinking about was like when that's all over and I would come home and I'd be sitting in my house and the kids are running around and I'm answering phone calls, I, I missed all that that energy and that rush, you know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. you, you get to a point, even if that kind of stuff is scary and everything else, like all of a sudden you need it and you yeah. start feeling not good when you don't have it. Yeah. And so I think that is also like, for me, it was coming home after a trip. I'd be like a week later, I'd be like, where am I going next? And for you coming home and, you know, it's like the, what was that movie? The Hurt Locker, where that guy comes mm -hmm. home after everything and he walks in the supermarket and there's like everything you can imagine. And it's just, you know, real life, like Jesse was telling me, God, I went from what I just experienced and now I'm teaching, you know, 70-year-old ladies how to lift weights, you know, or, or he went back to school. Oh, I'll go to school now. And he's with like, you know, kids that are like, probably seemed like kindergarten kids to you, yeah. you know. 
just college kids. And so it's just the reality of trying to not need that, you know. Yeah, and I think we're all adrenaline wired. Rush. We're all wired a certain way. You know, I think that there are people out there, you two probably, you guys need a lot more adrenaline than I do. <laughs> like, I mean, that I never would have found myself in a calling like either one of the two of you because I, I had such a, a much more timid. My push in life has always been like push, learn how to, to be a little more bold, a little more, not to say that I wasn't brave in my own way, but like that, that rush of adrenaline was never something like I don't want to jump out of an airplane. Now my kids jumped out of an airplane just a couple weeks ago and I was like, yeah, I don't want to come with you. <laughs> so it is an interesting thing, but brain chemistry wise, I totally get it now that I've, you know, I've, what, with what I've read, I'm like, yeah, it's addicting. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, it really is an, an, an interesting concept in, in your DNA and in your life path that has taken you to these amazing places and given you these experiences that most people will never have any way to relate to. Yeah. And it's funny you brought this up, this subject, and I thought about it, and I was like, well, yeah, now I think about it, I was a surf photographer, and then my nephew has become an incredible surf photographer. I mean, takes much more risks than I ever did. And then there's Jesse doing what he did. Now my youngest son is starting to fight fires. You know, it's like, it's like, what yeah. the hell's wrong with us? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Someone has to do it. Like, I, I completely enjoyed White Rhino and seeing some of those mm. things that you were up against. And as, I mean, my, my youngest is a surfer and he actually almost drowned when he was two. And mm. just having that, that same you know, having a healthy fear of something that can take your life but also can absolutely save it. Like, yeah. I'm a huge believer in the healing power of water, too. So it's like everything's got a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. and I feel oh, like yeah, it's like respecting it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, there, there are just so many things to connect to in both of your stories that I will never experience, but I'm grateful to just get some insight on because it, it just keeps me curious and... So I thank you for sharing. And one of the questions I always like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast is, um, what is a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Oh, interesting one. Yeah. You want to go first while I think? Yeah. <laughs> Beware of red flags when it comes to women. <laughs> um, don't let them have access to all your money. Those are probably the only two things. Otherwise, other than that, I think everything's gone well. Live and let live. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'd say. Um, I'd say stay in the present. You know, um, at least for myself and a lot of other people, I know we have a tendency to kind of worry about the unknown in the future, and I think to just simply live in the present and appreciate the present and 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 what you who you are now and what you're experiencing now is really what that is important you know not worrying about what, what the anxious future might look like and 99 percent of the time they say it's not even true and and savoring it you know because i think with anxiety depression all these different negative emotions you experience it can it can completely ruin the moment you know and I, I mean, I'm young, like you said, I'm 29, but I, even myself, I look back and I think like, you know, I was in that beautiful place, but I was in such a horrible mindset, you mm. know? And so I think trying to heal that first and foremost is the biggest um, aspect of just being happy and being able to appreciate what you do have and not think about 
you know, the what if and, you know, the mistakes that you may have made in the past and so forth. Yeah. I, I'd like to change my answer to that. Yeah, well, you know, you, you, you made them, so. Yeah, <laughs> that a, pretty much sums yeah, it up. That is and I hate to tell you this, but it's taken me this long to start kind of realizing that. Isn't that one of your favorite things? I mean, that is literally my favorite thing in life is seeing someone who is younger than me that has learned what I know some piece of or all of now. Yeah. And we're always learning. But when I see younger people learning this stuff, it's it honestly like generational learning when I came out of my divorce was like the thing that is like I tell people that's my North Star. And that's why I love doing these interviews with two you know, different generations, because I think it, the learning doesn't go one way. Like it goes back. And oh, forth totally. Constantly. Yeah. So um, when I heard you say that, though, the other question that came to me was, you know, there's society really creates this space where it's like there's feels like to a lot of kids I think one way to do things like mm -hmm. one way to be successful one way and you're saying when you were 16 you were fed up with school you went and did some program that basically amounted to a GED and you've lived this experience that's that's fulfilling and, and connected and I, I wonder if you have any like advice for a kid a teenager who's like struggling in high school because it's hard to see your way out through social media yeah it is um i think it's a little harder now than even a decade ago when i was about 19. it's only getting harder you know with with uh social media with the expectation of what to look like what to act like how to fit in um and you know people are different what i wanted is a life of grandeur and excitement and adventure and I, t I just took off and I took my chances uh, at a young age and thank God I succeeded and was able to you know, live that part of my life doing what I loved and, and meeting amazing people and having amazing experiences. And if I were to give my younger self advice and other people that are, were maybe in my situation or, or like-minded is, is take chances. You know, I mean, you're not young forever and go out and experience life and, and do the things you're not going to be able to do probably when you're a little bit older and you're going to regret because the the worst thing I think that I'd want to experience is, is being older than I am and, and regretting what I didn't do. You know, I mean, I've definitely made mistakes and I regret them, but, you know, I've done a lot of cool things and, and I can't imagine being where I'm at now without experiencing the good and the bad at the same time. And, you know, you learn from mistakes and you learn from successes and just soak it all up you know that's what life's all about yeah such such good advice um so if people want to connect with you guys out there um learn from you more where where can we lead them where can they find you well for me um you know i have instagram mm -hmm. and that seems to be the way i because of the business i'm in i i pretty much you know have to yeah go that route but yeah, I got a little DM there. Just reach out. Then reach out. Okay. Yeah, I guess cool. email uh, jessebeelman at iCloud.com. I love teaching and helping people with, you know, questions as far as, you know, what I can help with, you know, experiences yeah. that I had. Okay, cool. And we'll definitely put Combat Control Foundation's um, information in here. Yes, because they yeah, I, I can only thank them a thousand times. I mean, they've been huge. Whole Torf. Medical Group, uh, Combat Control Foundation, uh, my whole community has been so amazing. So I, I attribute all my healing and, and getting back to where I'm at now to them. Very cool. Very and I'm going to be um, posting more things on my Instagram. 
you know, I know a lot of people, most people come to my Instagram to see beautiful pictures of waves and things like yeah, that. And your photography is incredible. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but I will be posting some of that stuff because I think it's important, you yeah. know, just to kind of give a little bit of progress on what I'm finding out from the peptides and the, and the yeah. uh, stem cell stuff and just all the whole better medicine just in general because it's all about passing it on, right? Yeah, it is. And we've got, you know, all these generations that are going to benefit from mm -hmm. it. So thank you guys for being here today. Yeah, thank this you. has Thanks. been amazing. And there's much more to come. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to What I Meant to Say. If you enjoyed this conversation, you know what to do. Subscribe, rate, review. And for more great content, courses, and lifestyle, go to BeBetterMedia.tv.